The Start On Demand. On demand. If the environment is important to you and you're looking to reduce your carbon footprint, there is a way that you can make a big contribution, but you might not like it. The report says, don't have a dog, don't have a cat, and have fewer kids. We'll speak to a criminologist who says more police would not help stop crime. Would you intervene if someone like Don Cherry, for example, said something offensive, or would you just leave it? And Earl of Sandwich, my must-visit snack stop in Las Vegas, is coming to Winnipeg. So that got us asking the question, which restaurant would you like to see come to Winnipeg? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Wednesday, November 13th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. I uh, took yesterday off, took my car in at like 8 o'clock. And I rem- when I got up to do it, I thought, why did I schedule this appointment so early? Because you need to be awake anyway. You uh, were texting us at 5.30. <laughs> I woke up on the couch again because I fell asleep. Because that's what I do now. I just fall asleep on the couch. But uh, So I took my car in just for some regular scheduled maintenance. I needed a brake flush and an oil change. And I had a leak in my tire. And then at the end, he says, and we found some other stuff, too. And I thought, oh, boy, here we go. Don't they always find other stuff? Well, it's an eight-year-old car, and it's getting to that point now where they're going to start finding things. And he hands me an estimate that was $2,500. It's a day's day's pay for you. Oh, come on. (laughs) I was like, what? I wish. We wish. We you need always. someone in your life. It, like, there's a list of people you need. You need a mechanic in your life as a neighbor or a friend. Yep. You need an accountant. Doesn't and hurt to have a doctor so you can just randomly <laughs> show them things. Someone just that, take, take a look at this. I got this sabole I just want you to take a look at. Someone that is good at drywall mudding is also, also good. Also good, yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. You always got holes. Oh, don't forget the sanding. The sanding's the big, the big thing. Yeah. So I was, my day was relaxing until that point. And now I'm just in full panic. $2,500. But you've been dreaming of sandwiches. Yes. The sandwiches are helping. Yeah, at 645, we're going to talk about this. Uh, Brittany Greenslade, actually, from Global News, sent me a text yesterday saying, hey, isn't this the place in Las Vegas you were telling me about? Because when people ask where to go in Vegas for food, I always say, try it. you got to go to Earl of Sandwich in the Miracle Mile by Planet Hollywood. It's not a huge chain. Like, I think they have 31 locations scattered throughout the United States. But it is, it's it's just a quick fast food hot sandwich place. But I love it. And my buddies love it. So I shared it on Facebook with a couple of my friends. And they are both, we are all collectively losing our minds so to learn that it's coming to Winnipeg. I'm on the website now. And I'm like, I don't disagree the sandwiches look good but what's so good about it it's their bread i think the bread yeah. is really it's it's crispy it just tastes extra fresh i don't really know how what how to put my finger on it it's just it comes out like perfectly toasted i think and i'm kind of scared when they come to winnipeg that it i'm not going to like it as much i think i like it because i attach it to this las vegas that's, experience that's what i think happens to every time all of all of us we go to the states we go to another country and we like the chain or the store like i think that was target's biggest downfall for example when it came to canada because you went there and you go to the states and you found all these things and sure they didn't have the same prices like a we liked the prices when the dollar was was high but when they came to Canada, there was nothing different or special about it. And I think we all realized, oh, it's really just another just another store. It's a good point. I think you get excited because you can't have it. Yeah. 
Yeah, but so this I'm looks still, like a subway to me. It's 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 not. There's nothing special about it. It's just unique. It is unique in the sense that I think the the sandwiches like I've never had a, a hot sandwich like that in Winnipeg. Not saying they don't exist. I just don't know where to find them. But uh, they're coming to Winnipeg. They're going. To, they're going to be opening outside the Outlet Collection Mall. So we want to know. Do you like have, a, a standalone place? Yeah, like, it's going to be like the Popeyes out okay. there. Okay. Hmm. So we want to know. Do you have a must-visit restaurant when you go away, or is there a restaurant that you wish would open in Winnipeg? Like, I've always wondered, why does Hardee's not open in Winnipeg? Mm. Why does Carl's Jr. not same, open in Winnipeg? Same company. Yeah. I, I've got one that I wish would come back. Come back? Chi-Chi's? And I don't know if it was ever in Winnipeg, but it was in Brandon. Bonanza? Yes. Of course. <laughs> Absolutely was in Winnipeg. Their, their Canadian head office was in was Winnipeg. It? Yes. Oh, when I we was a kid, Bonanza I loved Bonanza. And, and Ponderosa. We had them both. You got to make your own wow. ice creams. There was sure. a salad bar. Everybody yeah. everybody stood in that weird line for ages just to get inside. So they've got, in the States now, they've got Golden Corral, which is sort of the same, same thing. Same idea. Same idea. And Ponderosa has reinvented itself in the United States. It's actually quite good. It's, it's a step up from what it used to be oh, okay. here in Canada. So, oh, yeah, it's great. Great idea. Talking about food at 610. <laughs> yeah. This is fantastic. Yeah, my stomach's already grumbling. So you can start texting us now, 204-780-6868. Which restaurant would you like to see come to Winnipeg? Or what is your must-visit restaurant when you go away, if it is available? Also, this this headline made me laugh out loud. Uh, you're reducing your carbon footprint all wrong. The merits of one less child. <laughs> and this article goes on to say if you want to reduce your carbon footprint, have fewer kids and don't have dogs or cats because poop. Yeah, essentially. I mean, when you stop and think about it, it makes sense. It, you, more people are going to contribute to the environment in a negative way. I never stop to think about the cats and dogs. And, it, and it's, part of it is just about the food they consume and the gases they emit, much like cows are an issue. And uh, the other part is their poop and the picking it up in the plastic bags. Well, and all the energy and all the consumables that are that are required to make just to make their food and to distribute it is a big deal. So per pound, your dogs and your cats are not super efficient for the economy. What I want to know is how do I decide which kid I'm going to keep? <laughs> It's too late now. You need one fewer chat. It's too late. Yeah. I'm just taking the headline at its merit. Well, it's funny because one of the lines in the article, and we're going to bring a guest on from the Wilderness and Water Campaign um, at 745 just to talk about this. Like, is there actual data that backs it up? But one of the lines is the most effective way to address climate change can't be found on any government website because they're unpalatable at best, existentially frightening at worst. (laughs) Nobody wants, nobody. I think it's the dog thing that would make people more upset. Don't tell me I got to get rid of my fur baby. Yeah, no and I kid. don't have one, so. Well, and it's look it's, how good I am for the environment. I have I have yours. I'm taking you taking have two yours. Dogs I have two, two dogs and two kids. Now. Yeah, yeah, you gotta you gotta scale back. Yeah, like yep. this report it said points to a book from 2009 called "Time to Eat the Dog: The Real Guide to Sustainable Living." What and does these it professor, say? Time to eat the dog. And the book says a dog's annual environmental footprint is comparable to that of an SUV because dogs eat meat, lots of meat, meat, and Greg, as you uh, pointed out, animal production is carbon intensive. So hmm. ew, that's that's Great. certainly eyebrow raising if, if the environment is important to well, you. Look at important? you. You're the best for the environment in this room. I don't have kids. I don't have pets. 
So living it, living the dream. Yeah. Got an Earl's a sandwich of Earl's or early sandwich or early <laughs> McGee coming. I will have an early sandwich right now <laughs> if the Earl of Sandwich was open. So the texts are already flooding in at 204 780 on rent. Restaurants you'd like to see. Remember Clancy's? Somebody suggesting Clancy's. They'd like oh, to see that come word. back. Oh, my word. I do remember Clancy's. I don't know if I ever ate there, but I do remember it. Yeah, it was a neat place. Maybe that's why it's not around anymore. Because <laughs> not enough people eat yeah. there. Tough to say. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Jeff Braun is here. Kelly Moore, Jeff Fortier. Yesterday, I learned that Earl of Sandwich is coming to Winnipeg. You may have never heard of Earl of Sandwich. It's just a sandwich stand fast food place in the States. I only know it from when I go to Las Vegas. It's in the Miracle Mile, but it is my must-visit place when I go to Las Vegas for a quick snack. The sandwiches are yummy, and they're opening a location in the Seasons of Tuxedo right outside the Outlet Collection Mall. So I'm super excited about that. I didn't think they would ever come here. I'd like to know why they decided to come here. Actually, I shouldn't question something like that. So, But I was curious, we were curious, what restaurant do you wish would come to Winnipeg, or do you have a must-visit when you go Away. And you can keep those texts coming at 204-780-6868 and weigh in on our Facebook page. We have a post up there. So, Kelly Moore. Well, going back to my days in traveling, there were some real must-go-to spots uh, because they weren't in Canada. Crackle, uh, Cracker Barrel, rather, is right at the top of that list, followed closely by the Cheesecake Factory, then the Macaroni Grill, and the Rainforest <laughs> Cafe. Oh, so you have no opinion on this one, Kelly. No, not, not at all. I was not prepared for this at all. I wish you would have brought a list. <laughs> Cracker Barrel, uh, from, at least it used to be consistently, I think, ranked like the number one favorite family restaurant in yeah, the United just, States. Yeah, it's just comfort food. That's yeah. the best way I can describe it. Is it, it cheese and crackers? Like, what is it? Oh, I, come on. I was on. thinking just a nice slab of marble for everybody. My oh. dad keeps telling me to go there, and I see see the big sign on the highway in the states on the interstate and i can't figure out where to get off the interstate to get to it and i just end up going by it and stopping at subway yeah it's like a southern country kind <laughs> yeah, of restaurant you're like exactly. yeah, you have to get like the chicken fried gravy sort of stuff okay and, uh yeah it's just it's comfort food that, and it's cozy you know the decor- decorations very unpretentious it's just uh, yeah, i like it Brown won't like this but i love their see i don't know if they're fried or how they do them but their green beans are just to die for Green beans? Yeah, I love them. Yeah. no one ever. Why would you go to a restaurant and get a vegetable? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a complimentary vegetable to the chicken and green. covered in cheese? <laughs> what, what, do you have a place, Jeff? Uh, mine was Popeye's, and it came here, and it was uh, a little, little underwhelming. Really? Yeah. And you, had you had it before? No. I just like a good... I, I like fried chicken at a... Bad physical experience at another chicken place that I refused to go back to. Yeah. So I was like, I need a fried chicken by my house somewhere, and the Popeyes came. And it's not bad. It's just not as good as I saw. I haven't had Popeyes, and I hear that that, chi- that chicken sandwich apparently is really good. So, well, if they it- have it. When they have it, apparently they've been running out of it all over the place. Oh, wow. It's that popular popular, supposedly that good. Fortier, do you have a place? Well, I was thinking about a place I've never tried, but I want to try it just because of a movie. That'd be White Castle. Mm. Oh. (laughs) I just just want to try it. It, 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 They make it look so good, but I heard it's actually not very good. I I went there, and I I found it a little underwhelming, and it's just kind of weird. And it's it's just odd. Like, even, even though they're sliders and they're tiny burgers, but their combos, like, you can get a combo with 15 sliders and an actual bucket of pop like that's the one what thing that always like a bucket like a like it was like I know a you hundred said an ounce. actual bucket but i'd still not like, computing because yeah to when me, does a like, cup like, become a bucket yeah yes. 
It was a pail. It was a pail of over pop. Two liters. Oh, two liters. Yeah, it was like a hundred ounces or something. I can't remember the exact measurement. Oh my god! Gigantic. Yeah. So yeah. Like for the Can, table to shit, does it come with six straws? For I was just going to say, hold yeah. the cake, but with at least one straw. Yeah. Uh, so, but, but the I, fries only come in one size, there, right? Uh, that I don't remember. According to the Beastie Boys, that's the truth. Really? <laughs> <laughs> the Beastie Boys would never lie. When it comes to fast food, there's a place in the states called Culver's. I'd never heard yes. of them. We just were beside. Uh, I think we had to pull into a Walmart or something, and there was a Culver's in the parking lot in Wisconsin. And they, it said, that I think their thing was butter buns. I don't know what they do with their buns. I guess they mm-hmm. soak them in butter or yep. what, but holy smokes, they, was it delicious. Uh, they grill them. It may have been my nickname in high school. Butter, butter buns. <laughs> 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 we want the story behind that. We'll have to read it oh. first, though. I'm write it out. Figuring out that I do not eat out enough when I go to the States. Like, there's so many restaurants coming in that I never thought of. I'm going to run down the list Yeah, do here, it. Okay? Because, and then, I can tell you right now, I, I can guarantee I've been to none of them. Okay, well, Chi-Chi's nope. always gets multiple votes uh, yeah. to bring back Chi-Chi's, mm-hmm. and uh, I couldn't endorse that more. I might even go back and work there again. Cold Beer and Cheeseburgers is a place in Arizona and California Moving that I've never heard of. And this <laughs> That's place the looks, name of it? Yeah. Cold Beer and Cheeseburgers? I love the name, and they have one in Carlsbad, so I'm going to have to check that out at the end of the month. Shake Shack, if you've never been to Shake Shack, it's it's really good. Outback, Bubba Gump's, Shakey's, somebody wants Shakey's back. Actually, a couple of people do. Panera Bread. Oh, that is really good. That yeah. is quite good. Uh, lo- some local favorites people want to see back. Mother Tucker's and the Beachcomber. Jim's Fish and Chips. In addition to the Cheesecake Factory, Hard Rock Cafe, Texas Roadhouse. Yes. Multiple people voting for that. Ruby Tuesdays. Is it Chick-fil-A? Chick, I think it's Chick-fil-A. 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 Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, Canadian place, Red Robin, that they have in Western yeah. Canada is quite good. Eastside Mario's we used to have. There. In Winnipeg. That's still your have first it. name that I have been oh, to. Oh, my goodness. That's another good one, too. The Macaroni Grill. Mac- that's a really good place. Yeah. I think you said it in your list of four. Well, just making sure it doesn't get lost. I think you snuck it in there. Okay. Milestones, which is out west, was supposed to come to Winnipeg at one point. Still hasn't. Clancy, somebody mentioned, bring that back. In and Out Burger always gets a couple vo- votes. Jack in the Box, Sonic. Nobody's mentioned places. Sonic yet? Yeah, uh, Sonic. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's Sonic a, that's good too. There's a Carl's Jr. on the highway in Maui that runs between the airport and the hotels. On the other side of the island, and that's the best cheeseburger I've ever had. But serious, I'm, don't you think have to go to Hawaii? You, could, you will go to Regina <laughs> go this weekend. They have one in Regina. But Girls do you Jr. not think it's just because of that time? In you know when you were there, the oh, time yeah. was really good, or the trip was good, or your girlfriend and at the time was been great. Starving or, for hours on the plane. So yeah, like, <laughs> I, I guarantee most of these places you go back, or if they come here, you're going to be like, oh, just a burger. That's what really yeah, that's what happens. Well, yeah, everything tastes better on vacation. Italy! Italy. Yes! Now that so is, cool. should come to Winnipeg. Yes. Italy? Italy. Italy, look it up. Uh, fantastic. Go to P.F. Chang's when they open up. Oh, P.F. Chang's is good. Meanwhile, Gregory, we want to start this hour with superbugs. Yeah, they're threatening to wreak havoc on Canadians and their health and on the economy of our country. An expert report commissioned by the Public Health Agency warns antimicrobial resistance in Canada is likely to kill nearly 400,000 Canadians and cost the economy about $400 billion in GDP over the next 30 years. The report's authors warn we should be treating this matter with even more urgency than climate change. Here's Global's Mike Armstrong with more. 
To put it bluntly, modern medicine is under threat. The number of infections resistant to antibiotics is growing, and experts say that could mean one day doctors wouldn't be able to do literally the majority of what they do now. Dr. John Connolly is one of the experts raising the alarm. I liken it to a tsunami that's out to sea, uh, and it's heading in towards the shore, and it's going to land a lot sooner than uh, climate change is. The report says last year, about 26% of bacterial infections were resistant to treatment, but that number could hit 40 by 2050. It would also kill about 396,000 Canadians. I think this is a call for action. The panel behind the report says a national strategy is needed. Surveillance and prevention programs have to be ramped up and immediately. Now, the problem isn't new. It's just getting worse. One of the biggest problems is the overprescription of antibiotics. In Canada, an estimated 25 to 50 percent of antibiotic use is simply not needed. We need to change the conversation in terms of viewing this class of medications as, as a, a very precious resource that we need to use judiciously. Now, this crisis was predicted, in fact, by the man who discovered penicillin. Alexander Fleming warned about antibiotic resistance in the speech when he accepted the Nobel Prize for developing antibiotics. Basically, for too long, the world took a very good thing for granted. Joining us now is Dr. Grant Pierce. He's Executive Director of Research at Albertson Research Centre at St. Boniface Hospital. And uh, Dr. Pierce, good morning. Good morning. We appreciate you taking some time. I know you're on your way uh, elsewhere this morning. Have we taken antibiotics for granted? Of course we've taken antibiotics uh, for granted. Uh, The average lifespan uh, around the time when Fleming uh, discovered penicillin was about 40 years old. And it has almost doubled in our uh, in our time, and uh, it's primarily, not totally, but primarily due to the discovery of uh, antibiotics. One of the numbers was that it could kill nearly four hundred thousand Canadians in the next thirty years. How is this because we, I might get a simple disease that would have been curable, say ten years ago, but isn't because my body just won't take the antibiotics? Is it as simple as that? It's as simple as that. Um, A a perfect example was in the uh, Council of Canadian Academies report that that you were talking about. And that's a person who broke their leg in India, uh, uh, contracted a a resistant bug there, brought it back to Edmonton. It uh, infected an entire surgery ward and killed a person uh, there before they finally uh, brought it into uh, control, but essentially it's bacteria that are no longer uh, no longer uh, susceptible to the antibiotics that are out there today. So as your report said, this is going to be a revolution in medicine if we don't do something about it. Uh, your normal surgeries that you have today, you want a hip replacement? Forget it because there'll be infection involved and it'll be life-threatening. If you want a knee replacement, it's no longer possible. You want cardiac uh, heart surgery? No. Eye surgery? No. If you get a simple uh, knee infection uh, and, and 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 it gets bad and you have no antibiotics to treat it, it's not just you're going to lose your leg, you may lose your life. So it's going to change everything as we know it. And uh, as reported in this uh, Council of Canadian Academies report, we are a social uh, people. 
and this may reduce the uh, sociability that we have. Uh, people are going to shrink away, I think, from large crowds where they may get bacterial infections. Uh, you may no longer uh, go to see a Jets game because uh, you don't want to be near so many people and the potential of, uh, of uh, having a, a, a contracting an infection. Dr. Pierce, we're all looking at one Shaking another, hands, just yeah. uh, you know, horrified. So, so there has to be a solution to this, and I know you are in part uh, trying to do something about this here in Winnipeg. Yeah, I think you know the the warning bells have been you know you're shaking your heads but really the warning bells were sound sounded by World Health Organization almost 10 years ago in which they said this is one of the three biggest threats to life on the planet today. Um so they they uh, they certainly know that the media knows that the uh the industry knows that. The problem is most of the drugs out there are attacking the same aspects of these bacteria that they have for many, many years. So uh, overprescription is certainly, as your report said, an important point of this. But I think uh, I, I can't see that changing. I think you, as you get in front of your doctor and you, you've got uh, some sort of infection, pneumonia, you've got something, you don't care. You want whatever's going to work, so they're going to prescribe it no matter what. So the response of industry, and certainly at St. Boniface Hospital, has been to try to develop uh, new drugs which attack the bugs in a different way. That way we can get around the resistance that they have developed. They have mutated according to seeing the same drugs for the last 100 years, so they, you, you need a new platform, and uh, that's certainly one of the things that we do at St. Boniface Hospital. Dr. Grant Pierce, Executive Director of Research at Albertson Research Center at St. Boniface Hospital. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. And a reminder, the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation Radiothon is this Friday. Radiothon of Hope and Healing from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. on 680 CJOB, presented by the Vicar Automotive Group. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, here's the headline at nationalpost.com. You're reducing your carbon footprint all wrong. The merits of one less child? (laughs) And that article talks about all the things we're doing for the environment, like we might recycle our plastics or have, uh, you know, bags that are, what do you call them? Reusable bags? Reusable bags, thank you very much. Buying energy-efficient light bulbs. But then the article also goes on to say, hey, that's all great. But the most effective ways to address climate change won't be found on any government website. And that's because they're unpalatable at best, existentially frightening at worst. And we're talking about your kids and your pets in a 2017 <laughs> study. Gosh. It's an American study, by the way, that has shown cats and dogs are responsible for nearly 25 percent of the environmental impacts of animal production. And that your pet's poop, why can't we talk about that this morning, which is usually picked up in plastic bags, isn't helping the situation either. Eric Rader is the Wilderness and Water Campaigner for the Wilderness Committee and joins us now. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for coming on. You know, I have to be honest, it's not something I really stop to think about, but technically it makes sense that more people might contribute to climate change and I guess the pets would too. But what do the numbers actually show us? Well, everything that we're doing has an impact. I guess that's what these numbers are showing us. And like you said, it it makes sense. Um, I I like to explain to people when they're having trouble grasping how big of a 
crisis we're working on here is that it only affects every single part of every single person's life. So uh, we have a lot to think about. So the animal production thing, you know, we talk a lot about we've had studies that talk about cattle and livestock and all the corn production that might go into feeding uh, the beef industry and all the rest. But is it the same sort of concern when it comes to cats and dogs contributing to environmental impacts of animal production? Yeah, as a pet owner, you would have looked at the ingredients in the pet food you're buying and the you might you might find cheaper pet food, which maybe your dog doesn't uh, give your dog as much energy. Uh, has a lot more uh, filler. If we're going to say we're going to see a lot of corn and things in there, and then the more expensive pet foods, you're going to see a lot more meat, and that meat has to come from somewhere. There's just no, you know, there's no imaginary source that gets lower carbon meat uh, just because it's for pets. So it's a disproportional uh, drain on resources. Is this where we're coming from here? Yeah, uh, and I, I guess pets aren't able to make personal choices about uh, their carbon footprint, right? They don't get to decide they're going to uh, poop into a plastic baggie last. They're not going to, you know, choose and stand in the store and, and make the decision that says this is one that's going to have a less carbon impact or we're going to figure out how the dog's going to eat, you know, some of our scraps from our table or things that are good for it that are that are that don't have as much of an impact because it's already waste, like, they don't get to do that, um, those decisions, and we would have to start thinking about them for the pets. So let's go there, uh, and we'll get to the kids' question in a moment, but I don't think anyone out there wants to hear about, you know, making a choice to get rid of their pet because it might be bad for the environment. So what could they get rid of, or what habits could they change when it comes to the role their pet might be having or the impact it might be having on climate change? Um, well, when we looked at the... Pathways. This is the word that's getting used in the IPCC report, the Intergovernmental Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report that really kickstarted the sort of climate attention for people a year ago. That say we have ten years to half our fossil fuel use. They say pathways. We we can look in all these different directions. So um, we could uh, we can have as many kids as we want as long as they don't have as big of a carbon impact as we have right now. That's the sort of gist of it. So you're walking your dog and again, back to the plastic bag, you have to clean up your dog's poop in the city and it's going into a plastic bag and wrapped up and into a landfill. Then it's going to sit there and uh, digest and uh, create more you know, problems in the landfill. So every little piece of that we can, we can look at, those are you know, pet related things. The climate action team that we work with in Manitoba here we look at three things, um, food, shelter, and transportation, and, and figure out all of those things. Every single one of those things are the key pieces um, that create our carbon impact. And so where can we lower our fossil fuel use on those three angles? And um, the one that we're talking about coming up on November 22nd is we're doing a, a, a climate fall supper where we're going to talk about how we reduce uh, the carbon emissions, the fossil fuel from food. Manitobans produce a lot of food in their gardens. Manitoba uh, farmers, that's a huge driver agriculture for our economy. But if we're going to start to fight the climate crisis like we mean to win the climate crisis and survive this, then we have to uh, address all of these big issues. So, so agriculture in Manitoba and the way that we garden and the way that we produce our food is going to be one of those. And then, you know, mixed into that at some point, we would talk about how you feed your pets. You know, Eric... So that's a long-winded way to bring it around. Well, one of the things I think, and Brett, you got we got a tweet when you posted that we were going to be talking about this at 7.45 from someone who said, 
Don't talk about this here. Don't talk about fewer kids in Canada. Go to, go to places like China or India and talk about the population. That was basically the, the sense of that. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think that was they were almost offended that we would even dare talk about this. But it, it certainly is an interesting question to ponder. Um, and it's one that I don't want to think about, the environmental effect that a dog, like if I had a dog, I wouldn't want to look at them as harmful to the environment. I wouldn't consider getting rid of my dog. Well, this lends more credence to, we've spoken to the company that has that uh, incredible invention where that turns uh, dog poop into electricity. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so we'll talk about that maybe a little bit more later on. Eric Rader is the Wilderness and Water Campaigner for the Wilderness Committee, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Eric, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate this, sir. Great. Thanks for having me on. And you can read the story. We've linked it to our 680 CJOB Instagram story. Please follow us there. We're trying to get to 5,000 followers today. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Question of the day at cjob.com. Brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. What do you think the city should do with the police budget? 58% say increase it, 29% say freeze it, 13% say lower it. And we're asking that question because we've been talking a lot about violent crime in Winnipeg. It's up. We've seen a rise in homicides near record levels. We've seen a rise in gun use. And the question is, will Winnipeg police see a rise in resources or dollars as they battle what some are calling an unprecedented year in crime? So the police chief just said yesterday that a mandate from the city to hold the police budget increase to 2% could mean cutting 34 officers and 25 cadets over the next four years. Our question beyond that is, what are we supposed to make from this? Bronwyn Dubchuk-Land is an assistant professor of criminology at the University of Winnipeg and joins us now. Good morning, Bronwyn. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. I know you're on the road, so we'll get to it. When we hear about possible cuts and we hear about how resources were reassigned from several units last week to address the crime issue... What should the public make of this? Should we be worried when we hear about this possibility of uh, changes and or cuts? I think we should be worried about the possibility that the police might use this moment of public fear and real, you know, violence to try to get more resources. Um, Because, you know, over the past 20 years, the police have been asking for more and more resources. They asked for more resources during a time in the late 90s, early 2000s when crime rates were falling. And at that point, their call was, you know, if you want crime rates to continue to fall, you need to make sure we have more resources so we can keep crime rates down. Um, And now at a time when crime rates are higher, they're asking for more resources. So the point is police at every turn ask for more resources. And right now they're exploiting this moment of public fear for more resources. And there's really no evidence that giving them more resources is going to have an effect on the crime rates. But there is evidence that crime is on the rise and that they're saying that they're overtaxed and that they're at their limits. So what do you say to police officers who are feeling and experiencing those things in these times? Yeah, I mean, I I believe that they're at their limits. And, and I believe that, you know, especially their investigative capacities are probably extremely limited right now in the wake of um, all the homicides that have happened. So they could definitely stand to reallocate some resources to investigations. Um, in terms of why they're feeling taxed, though, I think that this is really a, a, pic, a bigger picture of the budget where we've seen many, many decades of divestment from community supports, from health and social services. So the things that, you know, most, most violent crime it happens between people who know each other. So this is a context that police have very little impact on. Police patrols won't have very little 
will have very little impact on. And in those contexts, people look for resources. They look for domestic violence shelters. They look for alternate housing arrangements so that they can get out of abusive relationships. Um, or they try to get their loved one help if it has something to do with an addiction. They look for health care. These are the kinds of resources that have been stripped away. And we've been putting all our eggs in the police basket. And so, of course, the police are feeling stressed because they're the lone the lone wolves out there with all the resources to address a problem that they really don't have the tools to address. And in that context, um, I think we can say, yes, we see that you're stressed. But what that means is that we need to take money out of the police purse and start to reinvest back in some of these um, life affirming supports that help people solve their own problems on the ground in ways of their own choosing. So this reallocation, and I, I would agree with you that the proactive programs need to be in place, Brown, when that's, I think, mandatory. Uh, but how do you justify uh, taking resources away from the police force who is being forced to react to the ramifications of our decisions of 10, 7, six, five years ago. I mean, we're not going to fix those social situations overnight, regardless of the amount of money that we dedicate to those things. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, and we definitely hear the police saying that they're that they're spending more time than they would like on reacting to calls for service. Um, and and my response to that would be, well, we shouldn't be sending police to calls for service that have to do with people who are um, using drugs. Uh, police shouldn't be responding to situations of. Um, of intimate partner violence, they often make those things worse under under particular uh, situations. We like police reactions to these problems are also not helping and also often make them worse. So I think we need to get our minds out of this imagined place where police are the only ones who can possibly respond to these issues. There are all sorts of kind of community level or health and social service responses that could be emergency response. Um, so for instance, police don't have to, for instance, yeah. um, yeah, people, so yeah, people, um, people who are, are high or wanting to use drugs, um, could should have safe spaces to use those drugs when they have to use them in public, when they have to use them in the cold um, under conditions where they're sleeping outside. That's when things get extremely stressful and that's when conflict arises. So safe spaces to use drugs. That is an emergency response that could be like right and right away. We could open up like 17, 24 hour safe spaces across the city where people can safely use drugs. Um, or if somebody wants to get off drugs, you know, detox beds right now, we have an incredible shortage of detox beds. <clears throat> Emergency housing, like I said, for people who are in um, domestic violence situations. And again, a third of victims of violent crime are victims of intimate partner violence. So that alone, like empowering women to get out of those situations would cut down our crime rates. Bronwyn Dobchuk-Land, Assistant Professor of Criminology at the University of Winnipeg, joining us live on CJOB. Bronwyn, thank you for this. Thank you very much for having me. Ren, what's happening out in Selkirk? Well, you've been hearing Justin Justine Ruche talk this morning about a closure in Selkirk at the, the junction of Highway 4 and Highway 9A, and that's because of flooding, full flooding causing a situation up there. So we want to go to Selkirk Mayor Larry Johansson now to get the latest. Good morning, Larry. Oh, good morning, Loren. Good morning, guys. How so, are you doing? We're pretty good. This seems unusual to me. Tell us what's going on when it comes to this oh, closure. Absolutely. It is unusual. Uh, we haven't seen this too often. 
204 is closed uh, from the steam plant right to the bridge, uh, which in turn closed the bridge. Uh, We've seen high water levels over the last couple of weeks, and uh, in the last few days, it's been uh, it's been going over a lot of low lying areas. Uh, But it's it's uh, you know very very unprecedented unprecedented that uh, you know we get this kind of flooding in the uh, in the fall time. We got a lot of slush, a lot of ice going uh, down the river, and uh, I've talked to my guys this morning, and we're wondering if it's not uh, blocked further north on. on the red, there's some really tight corners that uh, where I know when we break it up with the uh, amphibexes that we really have to do a good job there in the spring. So I'm wondering if that's the problem, but it's uh, it's a real worry for uh, not only for our waterfront park and uh, and our Shalkut Park, but it's I think it's going to be a worry for the residents on Netley Creek and Petersfield. Now, Larry, correct me if I'm wrong. Typically, when we hear about ice jams and and the flooding on the Red River near 204, it's it's that big bend that goes around the the peninsula that is Selkirk uh, Golf and Country Club. Uh, Is the water kind of backing up further north from there this time around? Well, you know, it's been so high when they they closed the floodway, and and I don't know if that's helped us or, or hurt us, uh, but I know the floodway is, there's a lot of water in there, and, and apparently it's iced over now, and that's, uh, uh, that's a whole different ball game. That's going to play, uh, play into spring, uh, because that, that floodway can't be operating if there's ice in there, and uh, that's going to be uh, a whole new situation itself in the springtime, but I feel that the, I know the Dakotas, I've been watching uh, down there, and there's a lot of water coming from the south, uh, huge, huge water. Uh, they're experiencing some uh, overland flooding down there. Uh, in turn, I mean, you know, when we have the lake that can take a lot of water, uh, if there is any kind of a jam or any kind of a blockage, that's what gets us. And uh, I'd noticed in the last couple of days that there's a lot of slush, uh, a few ice flows that are going down, and there's just enough current going yet that keeps these things moving and uh there's got to be a jam further uh further down the red here that's uh that's playing heck with us and larry one of my friends who lives in selkirk sarah she's a loyal listener to this radio station as well and she suggested usually a strong south wind like we had yesterday drops water levels out there so now there's added concern more water is coming since the wind has calmed down somewhat any, any truth to that? We're, we're in a real dilemma here with uh, with the wind. The south wind, she's absolutely right. Sarah is correct that, uh, you know, it's bringing the, uh, the high water from the south quicker. Now, I'm hoping that the warmer temperatures on the weekend may help us, you know, to melt a little bit of the slush and that so we can get that out of the, uh, out of the system, and especially if there is a blockage. My fear, too, with high water like this is if it does turn... Uh, cold again in a week or so, and we start getting some high north winds. I'd seen that during one of the elections when I was campaigning at the Kwanas on the Red Block, and, uh, you know, I'd be invited into an apartment, and I would be looking out the window just as we were having conversations, and it was strong, strong north winds, and it doesn't take long for strong north winds and these cold temperatures to raise the water dramatically. And uh, so the wind is going gonna, is gonna to play into this, not only from the north, but from the south also. How big of a, of a part 
of being mayor of Selkirk is water in your life. It sounds as though you're paying very close attention to what's going on. You mentioned in the United States, one of our loyal listeners, Don, is a trucker, and he sent us some pictures from his last trip south, and he says it's very wet all the way down I-29, all the way to Omaha. Yo, oh, absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it's a dilemma down there, and which in turn everything eventually... Uh, ends up here. I mean, we're the last, uh, you know, uh, larger community before uh, Lake Winnipeg. So it's always a concern. I mean, Selkirk's very, very lucky in so much that, uh, you know, we've taken a lot of precautions over the years. Uh, our guys have a lot of experience with uh, with what to do uh, in case of, uh, of flooding. I mean, all, most of our houses, 99.9% of the, all the homes in that would be safe. But we still uh, we still have a lot of assets that are along the water. I mean, being a community on the water, <clears throat> we have our beautiful waterfront park. Uh, Selkirk Park is uh, has got a lot of assets in there that we want to protect. Uh, but I truly care about our neighbors also, St. Andrews, St. Clements, um, and like I say, I always worry about in the. In the uh, Springtime, I know we we had this conversation before about uh, Netley Creek, and uh, you know to have to worry about it now in the fall time is uh, is is a bit of a dilemma there. So I would be talking with Mayor Joy Sue later on today, and uh, I'm going to wish her well and hope that uh, everything is going to be fine there. But in the cold of the fall, uh, early winter here. Uh, and high water, it just is, it's devastating. And uh, I mean, next to fi- uh, fires, flooding is, uh, is, is one of the worst things. Well, I want to thank you for your time, Mayor Larry Johansson with the city of Selkirk, uh, talking about pretty unusual, almost unprecedented times. Thank you, Larry. Just to take you behind the curtain for a moment here. There was like that slight lag after I said outside 680 CJOB. And I always... I, I, maybe it's like uh, sadistic or whatever, but I always laugh when I look and see Forte hammering on the board <laughs> trying to get the thing to fire because I can relate, Forte. I remember sitting in that chair, and I know how frustrating it is when sticky, the digital technology fails. Buttons? Well, actually, that, that wasn't technology. That was me. That was all me. <laughs> I, just went, oh, I love that you admitted it. Well, yeah. See how easy it is to admit when you've made a mistake? Oh, look at that excellent segue. Excellent segue, though, Greg. Just well, saying. We were just talking in the commercial break about the idea, and I know we're not talking about Don Cherry and Ron McLean here in the specific sense, but there's lots of people talking about what Don said and then the fact that Ron McLean kind of sat there. I think he even gave a thumbs up at one point when Don Cherry said, you people, you come to Canada, you know, you don't put on a poppy. And then the segment ended and he had ended up apologizing later, Ron McLean, for, you know, not doing his part to interrupt. And that had us talking about the people we have in our own life. It might be the folks that come to your Thanksgiving supper or... The commute you make every morning, say, with a neighbor and and you find yourself having those conversations that you don't like. They might be saying something politically incorrect, might be racist, might be xenophobic. It might be like something where you're just like, oh, my gosh, you have to stop using that word. It's a terrible world. It doesn't have to be that far over the line. It just might be something that you disagree with. And you, how often do you sometimes just think, I am not. Can't be bothered. I'm not interrupting here. This will ruin dinner Mm -hmm. or it'll ruin the cab ride or it'll ruin relationships. So you kind of just sit there and eat it year after year. I was at a bomber game once, and this was this goes back over ten years. I think they were playing Montreal, and I was sitting on the east side in the east side grandstand. And the guys that I met for the game, they showed up drunk. They had been pre gaming. I think it was a Friday, so they had already been ripping it up. And at one point early in the game, 
he one of the guys he yells you effing like well I can't repeat it but it was a, it was a racial slur uh, involving a spear and I thought I just my I, I didn't even know how to react because a he the fact that he's cursing so loud b the fact that he was so overtly racist was just shocking to me and then and then I just did a quick scan and looked around and there was a a uh, black family sitting five seats down and I just kind of looked at them and put my hands up and said, uh, you know, like to motion, I'm sorry, because it was so stunning. And I, I think I just didn't talk to him the rest of the time because I think I let, let it go because he was already that drunk. Mm-hmm. What's that he the would point? say what he would say. But also, and if you confronted him with it, where right. would it have gone? That's is what that, I'm wondering. Was, yeah. Is yeah. that your thinking yeah. at that point? Yeah, yeah, I think that's maybe a good move. Boy, you just... Uh, I just remembering watching the Grey Cup, I think 92 or 93, and Montreal didn't have a team in the CFL at that point in time. It was an 18 league without Montreal, and the Bombers were playing Calgary, and they sang part of the national anthem in French. And I said, why are they singing that in French? They don't, they don't even have a team. And, and I realized I was in a house full of French Canadians. <laughs> and I felt about two inches small. And I just looked at everybody. I go, I'm sorry. I don't even know why I said that. But I, to this day, how many years are we? I can't even do the math. 27 years removed from that incident. And I think about it just about every single Grey Cup. Did anyone say how anything foolish, back to you? Uh, well, you know, they, I think they were stunned that I would say something like that. Because I, I think I... My reputation is mostly as a nice guy, and uh, we kind of moved on. But, man, I, I really felt like leaving after that. And I stayed friends with those people without any question. But, oh, I, like, what was I thinking? Mm. What was I thinking to say something like that? I think it's pretty common. Like on the op- Sometimes you say things and you learn from it. You're like, wow, okay, that was dumb, well, and I, I will never be, say I that again. I thought it would be funny, right? right? And then you not learn the hard all. way it's not. Yeah. But then there's the other part of you, like to Brett's point when he was at the game and someone says something you you're sometimes so shocked by the words people use or the things that they say or the, or that you didn't realize it might be a close friend and you're like holy cow have you been thinking this way right all, all this time and i didn't know that how could i be friends with someone like that and so i'm posing the question to our listeners like have you ever intervened in that situation with someone really close or a grandmother you know at the at the christmas dinner or you know they always say never talk politics and religion at the table but you do inevitably and inevitably right. someone says something that you sometimes just let go I've had and, to have and a couple, is, it, is it on us though? Like you know, to interrupt. And I've had a couple conversations with, with my mom, uh, where she would say things um, about whatever segment of the population. I can't remember the specifics, but I remember having getting in an awkward conversation with her, saying, "You can't, you can't say that anymore." Like I, I know that you were brought up one way, but the world has changed and is changing, and you can't say things like that anymore if you want to you know we're in the home right now there's no one else around but if you depending on where you are if you were to say that you could get yourself in a lot of trouble so you need to change the way you're thinking and it it sucked having to say that to my mom right it's like hey mom yeah, well, mom knows best wrong. usually right yeah. yeah i think it just highlights that things change i mean who remembers when you could smoke in a restaurant and i remember one of the last times i had out with my mom we were out at a restaurant, and I was still eating, and she decided it was time for her to have her post-meal cigarette. And I looked at her, I said, hey, Joanne, <laughs> do you think you could hold off a couple minutes till I get my last bites of my food here before you do that? And she kind of looked at me, gave me the stinky eye, and then she said, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't, I shouldn't do that while there are other people eating. But I've been putting up with it 
my entire life that when she was done, that was her routine. But I was like, hey, hold on here. The secondhand smoke, I've had enough of it. And I don't need to ingest it along with my pizza. Mm. Thank you very much. We have to call it out sometimes, for sometimes sure, right? Do, the bad right? behavior, absolutely. Let People us... don't like it, though. They really don't. No. Sorry, Mom. Well, and it's hard. Plus, too, when you get called out, if, if you your defense mechanisms, depending on how strong they are, they can you absolutely. can build a fortress around yourself and be like, nope, I'm not wrong, you're wrong. And sometimes you find yourself defending this concept, and you're like, I actually don't even care about this to begin with, but I do <laughs> like to win. So You do like to argue. So I'm going to keep going <laughs> with, go this. with this. I'm going to take the exact opposite side <laughs> of how I truly believe. So today is World Kindness Day. And we want to tell you how you can get covered by Global News. But first, Greg. Well, let's be honest. Who can't use a little more or a lot more kindness in their day, especially... All of Twitter. After the day that we had yesterday in social media, on the air, maybe around your lunch table and your coffee, you know, get together. Since 1998, this day has been a thing started by non-governmental organizations. You may hear them referred to as NGOs. There's actually scientific evidence. I know I'm waiting for the text messages now that says there isn't evidence that being kind to others is good for you. At the very least, it is as good to give as it is to receive. The thing about kindness is that it's just about the only thing in the world that doubles when you share it. And it's a fact backed by science. Studies have shown that if you perform just one random act of kindness a day, you'll not only reduce your stress, anxiety, and depression, but your body is flooded with the same hormones that make you and the person you've helped calmer, healthier, and happier. Serotonin, which heals your wounds, helps you relax and makes you feel good. Endorphins, which reduce pain, and oxytocin, which reduces blood pressure and makes you feel more loving and loved. You'll both be more energized, feel less aches and pains, more confident, and could even live longer. And if other people see you helping someone else, they'll be filled with those same feel-good hormones, meaning they're significantly more likely to pay it forward. Like taking that extra moment to hold the elevator for someone, spotting a coffee for a stranger who's just a few cents short, giving your neighbor a hand with their groceries, even just smiling and meaning it. It doesn't take much, but it can make a huge difference for everyone. Let me tell you this. There's nothing like when somebody in the lineup at Tim Hortons ahead of you buys your tea or your coffee for you. There's something extra special about that. I can't imagine that you're not getting in that video. The audio from that video sums it up. There's actual chemical reactions going on in your body when you give and you receive. Absolutely. And it's, what is the number one lesson? You're talking about things that, you know, mom knows best and all the rest. What are the things you tell your kids or that your mom told you that you give as good as you get, you know, and giving feels good and getting feels good. But you got to do both to understand why. 
And I was looking for uh, something to put on Instagram, one of those inspirational quote deals that you see all <laughs> over social media. That's not normally my thing, but every so often I'll, I'll subscribe to that. And I found one, which is just a cute picture, first of all. For whatever reason, there's an elephant sitting on a bench beside what appears to be a dog. Or it could be a pig. I can't quite tell from this angle. <laughs> but regardless, it says, if you have to choose between being kind and being right, choose being kind and you will always be right. And I liked that because sometimes, and this kind of has to do with the previous conversation we were having, Loren, where we'll, if someone will call you out for something, we often will throw up this wall and say, well, no, I'm not wrong, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. And I, sometimes I do that, but then I feel bad about it after. I, so I, I think I'm just more wired. Greg, you said you're a nice guy. Despite the fact that I look like a grump, I like to think I'm a nice guy. And I found another one that was interesting as well. Sometimes you have to be kind to others, not because they're nice, but because you are. Mm -hmm. And I think that... It, it's harder to be mean, don't you think? I think it is, yeah, because because I'm just not wired to be to have sustained anger and to yeah. be mean. I or just to feel hold that awful. grudge? Yeah, I just can't. It just it takes a toll on my soul. And listening to that audio, Greg, uh, I was just picturing, you know, like I uh, there was a guy sitting in the, the TD booth on Marion a couple of months back and he he had all of his stuff with him he just he was clearly downtrodden and I got my cash and I walked out and then I went back in and I gave him five bucks because uh, I just wanted to help him out and yeah like it, it gave me a little bit of a charge it made me feel good sure. they say there's no such thing as a truly selfless act people no, no, I'm not, not trying to downplay your acts of kindness, but it feels good sure. to help well, because others. Because you do get something back out of it, and I think we all know that, the whole idea of it's better to give than to receive. But remember Milt Stiegel, what he said when he was sitting in mm -hmm. the chair next to me a couple of weeks ago about his son Chase and, oh, dad must be cool to be famous and everything. And he says, Chase, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it sums it up for me. I, I think, think it's perfect. I think there's a phrase too, and we're gonna just—it's like we're creating a whole meme uh, generator here today. But a lot of my sister will always say, "You know what you need to do, Loren? Whenever I call with a problem, you need to kill him with kindness." Mm, my mom used to say that also. Just keep going at him because also nothing irks someone if they're really bugging you. They want to get a rise out of you, right? Mm -hmm. Or they want you to quit, or they want you to walk away, and you're like, I'm "Not going to do that." You know what I am going to do? I really like your shoes today. <laughs> shoes are great. What? You don't like my ideas? I think your hair, the way you've been partying it lately. Like you can find something nice to say about even your biggest enemy. Now, if you post online on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram with the hashtag the global good, if you do a good deed and post it online, you could be featured in Global News' coverage on this World Kindness Day. So if you want to be featured by Global News, post a good deed on social media with the hashtag the global good on this World Kindness Day. As one of our listeners weighed in, uh, loyal listener Kristen, she commented on our, on our Instagram post, a little kindness costs nothing, but it can mean everything. Like, you don't know what someone is going through, and if, as we heard in that audio, even smiling, just smiling at someone and saying, how are you, or thank you, can go so far if someone's having a bad day. Loren is smiling right now. <laughs> Thank you, Loren. I feel better. I think it was a super creepy smile. Sorry about that. Right. Well, but, but that's also funny, so that helps too, right? Because I enjoy the humor. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. 
And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.